0: Welcome to St Anthony's Looks at the World, the podcast from St Anthony's College, Oxford, where we invite alumni and academics to share their perspectives on their research and the great issues of our time. I'm Martin Rush and today we're joined by Dr Thierry Malare, a senior associate member of St Anthony's in 1991-92 to who is now co-founder and principal author of The Monthly Barometer and much else besides. He's co-authored a book about Covid-19 and we discussed that, his approach to his analysis, his views on the current situation and the importance of going for a walk. Before we get started, a reminder that you can find all of our podcasts on our website, social media, and now on iTunes. This this will be our seventh. Make sure you catch up on all of our previous editions. So without further ado, let's meet Dr Thierry Mallory. Thierry, thank you so much for joining us uh, today on St Anthony's Looks at the World, uh, our new podcast. Um, Can I just ask, during this crisis, where have you spent most of your time and how has it affected your sort of daily routines? I spent the lockdown in um, in my
1: um hometown of Chamonix Mont Blanc which is a mountain resort in France um and um, I took advantage of this um lockdown to write a book covid 19 the great reset so for me and I you know I recognize how immensely privileged uh, I was um I'm this um period of lockdown spurred my creativity. I was in the mountains. Um, I was in this uh, fantastic, uh, beautiful resort of Chamonix with this amazing stunning view of the Mont Blanc range. Um, so I was um, you know, lucky enough to belong to the 0.001% who did the lockdown in good conditions. And in fact, conditions were, that were so good that they did allow me to write a book in good conditions.
0: Absolutely, and uh, really looking forward to discussing that book um, uh, in this in this conversation. Um, one of the things you do as well is you is you is you is you hold um, an event called the Summit of Minds. I mean, would you like to tell us about that and maybe some of the challenges and opportunities of, of doing a, a Summit of Minds uh, during a during a uh, pandemic? Yes, yes. In fact, we
1: just had um, our twenty twenty edition of the MB Summit of Minds in Chamonix last weekend. Uh, which was, of course, a, a great challenge. Um, in normal conditions, we would gather 400 people from all over the world. Um, last year, we had um, you know, 80 plus nationalities present in Chamonix, um, and representing a very broad range of um, of opinions, of um, nations, of activities, ranging from global CEOs and head of state to activists, to academics, to um, all sort of people media leaders, etc, so the purpose of the Summit of Minds is to gather great brains in chamonix to think about the global outlook about what is in store from a macro point of view, so we look at geopolitics, economics, societal issues, the environment tech, and we look at how we could make the world a better place you know at a very old modest level, and the event what makes it very um, um, unique is that we, we spend a lot of time in the mountains. So uh, instead of you know, talking about climate change um, in the basement of a hotel, we would take everybody in a glacier with mountain guides to leave climate change to see what it's like um, and, and think about solutions to, to mitigate the risk. So this is what makes the Summit of Mind such a great opportunity. So this year we had 50 participants instead of 400, yeah. and about
0: 200 joined us um, online. Okay, because I mean, w- w- one of the other books you've written is called 10 uh, Good Reasons to Go for a Walk. Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning the book. Um, yes, I'm fascinated by it. Um, so is that, is that, is one of the reasons to, to sort of, um, you know, get the mind working in this way?
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I spent, um, you know, when I left St. Anthony's, um, I worked in London and then New York and then Moscow and then uh, Paris and Geneva. And I was always missing um, the possibility to walk outside and, and to benefit from the great outdoors. And then um, about four years ago, I was talking to a neuroscientist and a psychologist who told me, you know, being walking as you do is good for creativity, for natural thinking, et cetera. So it triggered very deep interest. And I started to look at the research um, you know, being an economist, I try to get a sense of how working can uh, boost your productivity, mm-hmm. reduce at some place in, in in companies. And um, so I wrote a book, and uh, I, I even made it a business. So uh, you know, my clients are global CEOs, prominent private investors, and instead of working um, in an office as much as possible, when we can, I will take them um, on a hike, uh, ski touring, even climbing sometimes. And um, there is a lot of research in uh, psychology, um, leadership theory, uh, neuroscience, uh, medicine, of course, that prove that you make better decisions when you are outside, uh, personal and business decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's something that, uh, I guess, um, Immanuel Kant used to do regularly, walk every day, and uh, Rousseau wrote about it as well. Did you do many many walks when you were in... um in Oxford did you do any walks around Oxford or Oxfordshire or was it something that you discovered after, after your time? All the
1: time, all the time um, my mother-in-law lived in the Chilterns and um, on a few occasions I even walked about 30 miles to go to St Anthony's um, you know. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah amazing. So, yes,
1: I mean and you know Oxfordshire is such a beautiful uh, county yeah. yes I did every time I could I
0: walked. Brilliant okay so what was speaking of St Anthony's and um, what was your sort of you you're you here i think in 91 92 yes what, what was your time i mean what are your memories of saint anthony's and particular and then what how did you get from saint anthony's to 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 founding the monthly barometer what was your journey
1: right um well in fact i did my uh, i i did my phd in paris at the um École de sociale, but my supervisor was um roy allison mm. Uh, So um, I was a senior associate at St. Anthony's. I I spent a lot of time at the college. Um, I had a fabulous time in interacting with such bright minds that um, every day was a a day of excitement and uh, creativity. So I wrote my PhD um, in St. Anthony's and then um, I was preparing for an academic career um, because I loved it. But I had written a book in the US um, at the um, Institute, East West Institute for Security Studies in New York about Soviet defense conversion, which was also the topic of my dissertation in St. Anthony's. Mm. And one day I received a quote from the president of EBRD, European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, who said, you know, instead of writing about it, why don't you come to the bank and do it? Mm. And I spoke Russian, and I thought that it was a fantastic opportunity yeah. to work on it. And so I moved from. Uh,
0: a, a, a very early embryonic career in academia to to investment banking. <laughs> yeah, and 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 then so how did the idea for the monthly barometer come around, Come about?
1: Well, then uh, I worked in investment banking for quite a few years, um, in particular in Russia at Alpha Bank, and I was offered a job uh, by the World Economic Forum to to, to run Davos, the, the annual meeting of um, the World Economic Forum in Davos. Uh, which I did for a few years. I founded the Global Risk Network. And uh, one day I was talking to the CEO of a very, very large company, a global company, very well known. And um, he said to me, you know what, what is missing is that um, I receive every day hundreds of pages of analysis from my teens and I read a lot and uh, I cannot dissociate the signals from the noise. I have too much to analyze, too much to read. I'm a global CEO. I don't have time to do so. Mm. If you could produce just in one page what matters to me on a monthly basis i would go for it and i started the
0: monthly barometer this is what it is all about and so how has the current uh, crisis of the last sort of six months or so or, or more obviously how has that affected um the the demand for something like this and what challenges have you faced in trying to bring order to this uh one page of order to this uh, to this this chaos
1: well, there is only one page at the end of each month, but of course, we do a lot of things in between. Um, so I started to produce um, a COVID note, looking at the macro implications of COVID. Um, we run webinars all the time, we do seminars for our clients, we do ideas dinners, um, um, and so on and so forth. And um, so in it, when when COVID and the, the lockdown um, came into effect in France in March, I had a conversation uh, with Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum and chairman. And um, he's one of my uh, subscribers. And uh, he said, why don't we write a book about the implications of COVID um, on the world? Um, and I I I decided I thought it was, of course, a great idea, I was you know, enthused by the um, possibility to do this with him. And when I when I founded the Global Risk Network at uh, the World Economic Forum, I worked with a lot of academics at that time. People from um, academics from Wharton, uh, principally, but also a few from LSE and Oxford. And we we were thinking about how best to categorize the world. When you when you try to think about the global outlook, it is so broad, it is so complex. Um, you know, what sort of framework can you use to do so? And we saw that a very good simple framework to use would be to divide the world into uh, macro categories. So we look at economic, geopolitics, societal issues, environment, and tech. They encompass pretty much everybody. And then, of course, we recognize that what defines uh, the world of today is systemic connectivity. You know, these um, issues interact with each other mm-hmm. all the time because the world is interdependent. And in, and in so doing, conflate with each other, so amplify each other. Um, um, so that the idea we had with the book, um, we thought immediately that COVID would entail you know, dramatic consequences in, in economic terms, which were obvious from day one, in terms of um, the heat to growth, unemployment. So we started to think, okay, how will this cascade into geopolitical issues, uh, technological, and, and vice versa. So this prompted, to, prompted us to, to write the book. And to think about how it's going to affect the global outlook, but also industries and companies, and um, and and ourselves, you know, as individuals. So it has three main chapters: macro, micro, and um, and personal implications of COVID. And you realize uh, our firm conviction is that the world of tomorrow will be very different from the world of yesterday.
0: Well, I, I, absolutely. And, and and the the book's co- uh, subtitled the Great uh, Reset. Um, Why did you choose, or in English anyway, why why did you choose that word rather than um, renaissance or restart? I mean, what what, what is reset in this context?
1: Well, renaissance, it has a very strong positive connotation, of course, when we think of renaissance in Italy. It's a new positive world.
0: Um, I mean, some people think there's... I mean, obviously, it's a disastrous uh, pandemic. But some people say there's an opportunity for, you know, world cooperation or something to come out of it. But I guess you've chosen.
1: Well, we said we said we thought reset because we need we think we need to start from scratch in many domains. Um, we think that the uh, you know, which is a, an important thing to say for an institution like the World Economic Forum, that the neoliberal order has come to an end. Mm. That um, the most extreme form of um, you know market capitalism is o- has also come to an end, and we talk about reset because we are of the conviction that we we, we find ourselves at a crossroad. Um, you know, either we do nothing and, and we continue as before, and it means for us that the world of tomorrow will be like the world of yesterday, but much worse. Or we reset entirely uh, our System, global system, by putting into place something like what you just said, you know, new forms of cooperation, mm. withdrawing our social contracts, you know, mm. the social inequality. It's a, it's an impossible issue today. We don't know how to resolve it. And if we don't find a way to address properly the issue, I mean, the world will become unlivable uh, for many, many people. Um, environmental reset, you know, I mean, what COVID has done is to illustrate the gravity of the situation with regard to the environment and climate change in particular. So you know, we argue in the books that if we don't uh, put into place policies that will uh, very rapidly decarbonize the, the economy, we'll run into even bigger troubles than today. And so far, you know, everything that has been happening um, ever since the pandemic started um, is is pointing to the yeah, to, to, to this obvious conclusion. If we don't act now, we are going to be in very, very, very deep trouble in the coming years. Um, you know, you can see it. I can provide zillions of examples. Um, so the Great Reset means we need to have to change the way we organise ourselves and we do things.
0: Um, and And do you think this is a case of existing trends being accelerated or do you think it's whole new things being introduced?
1: Well, it's a combination of both. Um, What is absolutely obvious is that um, COVID-19 has exacerbated all pre-existing trends. Mm -hmm. Um, A few of those I already mentioned. And it's also um, triggering um, new trends, uh, you know, what economists um, called uh, hysteresis effect. You know, some features may become permanent features of our working lives. For example, Um, It may be that we'll start working from home much more, which will have a a defining uh, impact on um, the real estate industry, uh, on how we organize ourselves, on uh, uh, the office of the future, etc. It may be that um, in the future we'll fly much less, uh, we'll travel less, um, so the world will become much more insular uh, than it is uh, even at the moment. Um, so we have to think about these long-term effects that are you know, second-order consequences of the acceleration of trends that we are um, o- observing at, at the moment.
0: So you've mentioned um, already this, this idea of um, the complexity, if you like, of, uh, of systems today. And one of the themes or one of the uh, terms mentioned in the Great Reset is this idea of quantum politics. Um, what, what is that? And, and how do you think this complexity reflects on traditional... Um, fields like international relations, political science, economics, which maybe are, are working separately. Yeah. How does it all fit together?
1: Well, the expression quantum politics comes from a um, um, uh, uh, head of state uh, called Arminius Sarkisian, who is a, a friend of mine. Uh, we even do a summit in Armenia with him, a summit of minds. And about two years ago, um, in Chamonix, at the summit in Chamonix, coined the expression quantum politics. He's a quantum physicist by background so he understands what quantum means and um, you know he said that uh, uh, you know we we think we always think because it's cognitively easier for us in linear terms uh, of course because otherwise we'd be overwhelmed by complexity but in reality the world moves in a way that in is is non-linear you know we see cascading effects all the time we get Caught by surprises all the time um, in, you know, in all the decisions we make on a daily basis. Um, uh, so we have to think about um, the, the world as a, as a living organism. You know, it's when economics intersects with biology, maybe with uh, quantum physics, etc. And uh, capturing the uh, effect of nonlinearity is very, very hard to do. Um, uh, and it presupposes that we break the silos in which we are all stuck in i'm an economist i was trained as an economist luckily i did a bit of anthropology so it opened my mind but i I can realize particularly in academia uh, how um, how important silos have become so you are excellent in your very narrow field and you are incapable of connecting the dots um, Mm. with um, other disciplines or um, other approaches or something um, things that differ from what you've been at university or in your professional life and uh, uh, that's of course a very big problem and um, you know, we, we, we see it as we explain in the book we see it uh, all the time you know risks intersect with each other so if you're an economist and do not think about the implications that um, rising unemployment is going to have on uh, social stability mm-hmm. and the feedback loop that we provoke uh, on economics itself in terms of uh, future demand etc well, you are missing everything. Um, um, So this idea of quantum means that, uh, I could go into into more details, of course, and we have several pages of the book devoted to that. Mm -hmm. Quantum means that we have to break the sides between disciplines, and we have, uh, to the best possible extent, to think about um, the world in non-linear terms, uh, instead of deterministic terms. Um, as, we, uh, as we normally do. And um, one last word on this, if, if I may, um, I, did, I interview all the times, uh, important um, you know, global CEOs, important decision makers, central bank, head of state. And a comment that I hear more often, uh, more and more often, is that um, we are overwhelmed by the complexity of the world. Mm. Uh, you know, The world has become such a complex machine, and the pressure, um, that did not exist before the pressure in terms of um, acceleration of time. You know, decisions having to be made incredibly fast, and the disconnect, for example, between um, you know the um, time which is required in a democracy to make a complex decision and the expectations of an immediate return on, the, on an election, on a measure, or whatever, is. Um, startling, and on top of that, um, everything has become transparent. So, you know, uh, global decision makers have to deal with an infinite um, um, range of issues that affect uh, the public perception, the discussions on social media, um, which um, w- which did not exist before and which uh, you
0: know inflict uh, greater pressure on the
1: way in which the decisions are being made.
0: Sure, sure. So, given given all of that. Um, what, ad, what advice would you give to someone studying at St. Anthony's now who, who might want to get into the kind of work that you're doing? Uh, what skills do you think maybe aspiring analysts might, or, or, or policy makers, I guess, might need to have in, in, in this era?
1: Well, the very simple advice I would give is broaden your horizon. You know, specialise, of course, do you defeat in the area of specialisation, but you have an economist, talk to political scientists, anthropologists, social biologists, etc., cetera, and, and vice versa. If you're a political scientist, talk to economists, etc. cetera. Um, we, we are much more, we, we are too um, siloed in our own discipline and it's very, very important in my mind to broaden the horizon as as, as as much as possible. And talk to non-academics, you know, there is such so much to be learned from talking to social activists, to investors, to uh, poets, to, you know, Everybody has a different opinion and the world is incredibly rich and it's important to reach out to different people as much as we can.
0: And I guess if you can, go for a walk as well. And go for a walk,
1: of course. it's So <laughs> important to be
0: grounded. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Thierry. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, it was
1: a privilege to talk to you. Thank you.
0: Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Thierry and uh, we're very grateful uh, to him for joining us. Uh, Really recommend uh, both of his books that we discussed, COVID-19, The Great Reset, and 10 Good Reasons to Go for a Walk. Um, Please do check out our previous podcast on our website and iTunes and watch out for future editions of St Anthony's Looks at the World.